Welcome to this episode of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kennedy, and we have a great one for you today. Jamie, Scott, Josh, and myself made the quick trip over to Duke's campus, and we're able to sit down with head football coach Mike Elko. Here's the interview. Second time ever, head coach of the football team, one Mr. Mike Elko. Coach, I think I speak for all four of us when I say welcome back. Glad to have you back on the podcast with us. Yeah, always good to be on with you guys. Appreciate you guys having me back on. Yeah, we were uh, we were looking over things. It's been almost or exactly a year since you came on, and that was right after you were hired as Duke's football coach. And looking back over these last 14 months, what is everything meant to you so far as being the head coach of the Duke football squad? Yeah, it's probably hard to quantify one year later. I think um, obviously it's been a very good first year. I think we've been able to accomplish a lot of things that we had set out to accomplish. Certainly have overshot some expectations in a lot of areas. And, um, you know, we, we knew that we had to build this thing from the ground up and we wanted to do that. And I think we've really looked back and felt like we've had a phenomenal year in, in so many areas all on the field, but also in terms of the things that we've been able to do, building the infrastructure of this program to kind of take it where we wanted to go. Yeah, looking back then, um, this past season, and we'll do a little bit of that, and then looking forward, obviously, to this coming year, um, but flags are uh, are thrown, you know, a lot of times 50-50, right? And you got, you know, in, in, in full, in all respect to officials, they're making calls in the heat of the moment, right? And they see play after play after play. Uh, if you had to, you got to pick one of these. If you had to go back and say the 50-50 flag would go our way, it didn't go our way, but if, if it could go our way, would it be the offensive pass interference, pass interference on John Tavis at Georgia Tech that would have set us up first and goal at the four? Or is it the chop block, the UNC game, that would have put us up 11 with a little over two minutes to go on yeah. the Calhoun touchdown? I, I mean, obviously I would want the Carolina game over any game yeah. on our schedule, but I think the – the realistic look back is the one against Georgia Tech yeah. probably was a flag that, that shouldn't have been thrown in, in the grand scheme of things. and um, So I just think that was probably the one that most realistically um, could get picked up. But, you know, listen, at the end of the day, and we talked to our guys about this, um, there's a lot of other things that happened yeah. um, in those games. And, and the other piece of it, and I say this to everybody I talk to, is just not getting lost in the fact that um, – you know, when you talk about losing close games, that in and of itself was a tremendous jump for us as a program. And I think we had to get into some of those close games and lose them um, for us to down the stretch and learn how to win some of them. And at the end of the day, we didn't really show up in that game until the middle of the fourth Correct. quarter anyway. Correct. When yeah. Samir woke us up there with the uh, with the punt returns. So. No, and, and, you know, listen, you know, that, that, that was going to be a part of this. We were going to learn how to overcome success and – you know, beat Virginia, had a really good win against Virginia and had to learn how to come back and play again. And I don't think we did that right the first time we got in that situation and we did it better late in the year. And then, you know, going against an explosive offense and figuring out how to close that game, we didn't get it done against North Carolina, but then we turned around and we did get it done against Wake. And so, um, you know, nobody wants to go through learning lessons. Those those suck. You know, there's no other way around it. But um, I think that's part of what those two games were for us too. Coach, looking back, at the season itself, <clears throat> what was the most rewarding win for you for 2022? Yeah, I, probably a combination of a lot of them. You know, I, geez, it's hard to pick. You know, the Temple one obviously being the first, you know, and, and 
with all the uncertainty surrounding, you know, what would it look like? You know, a first-time head coach, what would the operation look like? What would the organization look like? You know, internally, you always have the fear that we're going to go out there and look <laughs> like I haven't done anything, you know, in my 10 months here. And so, you know, that one obviously will always be special because it was the first. And then um, I think UVA was a, a critical one just because I think it showed so much growth from year to year. And then I thought the wake one at the end was the most quality opponent that we were able to close the deal against. And so, you know, probably in each of its own way, those three played a role. Yeah, you could, I know we couldn't necessarily say this as the season was going on last year, but like we were somewhat missing and nothing against our opponents. We were kind of missing that quality win yeah. that Wake presented. No, for sure. Um, and then, you know, for that to happen, I thought that was really big. And then, obviously, your connection with, with Coach Clawson yeah. there, it had to mean a little bit student-teacher and a little <laughs> bit of that. You know, we've seen it on the basketball side with Duke with Kay being here so long. You know, you have those guys that come back in, and it, it's just one of those you kind of things we saw with him and Coach Knight and then now him and his other coaches. And so I'm sure that had to play into it a little bit with Wake. Yeah, I think, I think we – you know, when you looked at the year up until we finally got over the hump, you know, the best thing we had done was played really competitive games mm-hmm. against Kansas, Pitt, North Carolina, Pitt, yeah. and Pitt, right? And, and you looked at those games, and you certainly didn't feel like we were outmatched, and you certainly felt like we were in those and could have had opportunities to win them had a couple of things gone our way or we made a few more plays. And so we didn't feel like um, the totality of it, we weren't playing well against the better teams, but we hadn't gotten over the hump. Right, and, and Wake yeah. Forest was the first time we were able to get over the hump. And, you know, on the other piece, you know, I don't know. I have so much respect for Dave and, and everything that he's done for me. And so um, I don't know necessarily that it's an added edge to beat him. I just think with how similar those two programs are, mm-hmm. you know, we're recruiting for a lot of the same kids. We're both small private schools in the state of North Carolina. Like, um, there's obviously a lot of meaning behind that game for so many reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it's obviously a big one for us to win. All right, so you're down 14. You score a TD. Will you text us to see if you go for two, or just kick the extra point? <laughs> so what I will do is I will go for two. So I'm going to explain this yes. one to you guys, we got and to your fans, and to your followers, so that everybody has a full understanding of this because this is rock solid. Truth. Just look okay. at He should have been one asking the question. So this is hard. the reality of it. Full disclosure, right? You make a decision going into the game. If it comes down to it, are we going to go for two in the win, or are we going to go for one and send it to overtime? So playing at Pitt on the road, there are a lot of factors into going into that why we felt like we were going to play for the win. You know, they had a really good red zone defense. We felt like it was going to be a challenge running the football against them. They were a better run team, um, and so red zone matchup wasn't great. And that's a lot of what you look at when you try to figure out, do we want to go to overtime, is what does the red zone matchup look like? And then obviously being on the road plays a role. And so in our mind, we were going to do it. Then you go into the game, and there's this whipping, swirling wind, and we watch their kicker come out and drill a 52-yarder into this whipping, swirling wind, right, which then to us absolutely solidifies we're playing to win. Mm-hmm. So now we've established that, right, which that is debatable. You can tell me we should play to go to overtime all the time. That is always debatable. Once we establish we are playing for the win, it is hands down a no-brainer to go for two at that point because it leaves you outs. So we go for two down 14. We get it. That's our two-pointer. We don't get it. We have another chance to come back and send the game into overtime. 
to give us a chance, right? And so the debate is, are you playing to win? That you can toss around and fans can have their opinion on it. But you can't say the one that's wrong is kick one there, go for two the next time. That's just flat wrong. That's just, just mathematically. Right. That's just mathematically an incorrect way to look at it. Now, not the same in the middle of the third quarter, because you don't know what may happen between the middle of the third quarter and the end of the game. But at that point, towards the middle to the end of the fourth quarter, when there's about 1.4 possessions left in the game, like that's just mathematically a no-brainer. Um, Jamie, are you pleased with that answer? I am, and actually. <laughs> You'll, you'll be happy to know, after the fact, I went on Google and I did my research. There was actually a guy who wrote a paper, like a, a long paper about yeah. about that. And he, he kind of pulled me over to, to that. that side. <laughs> no, it, it is. It's a different way to think about it. Um, but, you know, and, and then, like, and I said this after the Georgia Tech game, because people asked me at the end of the Georgia Tech game when we tied it up, they said, did you think about going for two? And I said, no. And I said, you'll know if we're playing to win on the previous one. Yeah. Because on the previous one, if we were playing to win, we would have went for two. And against Georgia Tech, it, and honestly, it felt like Duke had all the momentum right. at that point. Right. And in our mind, going into that game, we felt like we were going to play for overtime. Yeah. As the game went on, we felt like the way it was going, we still felt like playing for overtime was our best opportunity. And so there's always a debate. And we have it internally on Wednesday, and then we have it on the headsets as the game's going on of what are we gonna do in that moment. Uh, we never make that decision in that moment. Um, that's always been been long thought through and processed how to handle that situation. So. And, and that Georgia Tech game, it would have worked out. I mean, we talked about the penalty. If the penalty doesn't get thrown, it's first and goal from the four. All we need, we didn't even need the extra point. We just right. had to score a touchdown and the game's over. Yeah. So uh, you know, that would have definitely worked out. No, and, and I think, so. honestly, I'm, I, you know, part of being part of a lot of these decision-making things from an analytical standpoint is, is you've got to be process-driven, not outcome-driven, mm -hmm. right? You can always be outcome-driven and yeah. be wrong all the time yeah. or think that you were right when you really made a wrong decision. Um, we're trying to be process-driven in how we look at analytics, and I think that at the end of the day, we don't look back and say, oh, we lost the pit, we made the wrong decision. Um, we still feel like we made the right decision mm -hmm. with how we thought about it. Yep. Well, let's, head, let's look now heading into 2023. Uh, one thing that I found online that, that piqued my interest was that this team's returning 71% of the production from last year's team, which is pretty, pretty good if you look at it. Fourth overall in the ACC, 33rd overall in the country. Don't know if you know that, but did not. Well, there you go. I knew I knew who was coming back. Right, exactly. So, I, I just now that you know that and you're you're looking into 2023 with the opponents that we have or Duke has coming onto the field. How important is it to have the core nucleus of this team coming back with such a huge schedule ahead for this team? Yeah. So so I'll tell you guys that I'll tell the fans just like I tell our players. Um, we really don't talk about things in terms of our opponent, big games, big opportunities. We talk about everything internal. And I think the biggest messaging that we had last year through the offseason was you know, externally people have a lot of opinions about who we are and what we're capable of. And for us to get where we want to go, we've got to block all of that out, do what we're supposed to do, show up and play the way we're capable of playing, and we'll get what we want out of this season. Now it's the same thing on the flip side, right? 
we're still talking to them about blocking out all that external because just because we won nine games, that means nothing. Uh, has nothing to do with what's going to happen in 2023. Uh, it's great for the fans. It's great buzz. It's great external excitement. I love it all. Uh, but at the end of the day, we've got to go to work and we've got to build this thing with the solid foundation and the right principles to put ourselves in position to play our best football. And once we get there, then it's just about going out and playing our best football. And I think that was our thought process last year, and it got us into a really good spot. And, and now, sure, the win-loss percentage of the teams we're playing, that's not lost on me. I know who we're playing. The quality of brand recognition in terms of the teams we're playing, that's not lost at me. But it doesn't change our approach and how we look at it and how we go about what we're trying to get accomplished. Following up on that, so taking off the head coach hat, though, and putting on, like, the CEO of the program hat. Week one, Labor Day night, uh, Clemson coming into Wallace Wade. Uh, the only game, I believe, in that time slot uh, in the country. Um, take it, like I said, not internally with your players, but for the program. Like, what does that mean? What could that mean to the program? Just looking at ticket sales. I mean, in the past, we've brought in, when Alabama came in, they've added bleachers. Like, there's been things like that. Like, what are you looking forward to for that weekend? Like I said, not necessarily internally, like in practice X's and O's, but more of like overall brand for the program. Yeah, I I think there's a handful of games on the schedule, and you guys know which ones Mm -hmm. they are, that are going to give us an opportunity to really show off nationally what Duke football can be about, I think. Anytime you have those opportunities as the big picture CEO, like those things matter. Um, and so getting an opportunity Monday night, Labor Day, getting an opportunity to host an iconic brand like Notre Dame, getting a chance to bring another team from the triangle in here that hasn't been in here in a long time. Um, I think when you have those opportunities, we know that there's a chance for us to really show what Duke football is capable of becoming. Um, but for us to have those things go the way we want them to go, we got to find ways to, to be successful in those games. And, and that's where the mindset of our team and the mindset of our players has to stay focused where it needs to be. Um, you know, because, you know, the flip side of all of it, and this is the head coach speaker, because the head coach hat always comes back on quickly, you know, we're going to play the opener on a Monday night against Clemson, and we're going to turn around five days later and have another game that matters a lot too. And, uh, maybe that's not an iconic brand that's coming in the following Saturday, but you know you only get 12 of these, and so we just have to make sure that um, internally we're doing things the right way so that we can have the success we want to have. Last season it was easy to keep the chip on this team's shoulder. It was Duke against the world. No one projected Duke to win any more than three games. This year will be different. There's already talk. I've, I've seen talk on ACC Network and everything else about about this team, some hype. How do you keep that chip on the shoulder fresh this year? Yeah, you guys won't like this answer, but I told them all you guys had no idea what you were talking about last year in the media, and uh, <laughs> still about this year. But um, no, I mean, I mean, it, it is. It's it's a little bit of coach speak, but it's just it's the nature of of winners and people who consistently win every year understand that there's a process and a price to be paid to have an opportunity to earn success in the fall. And, and that process starts in January in the weight room and through spring ball and through summer training and through fall camp. And um, there's just no way around it. You have to pay a price. And um, much like last year, we, we were trying to ignore um, lower level of expectations. Um, and it was easier because when you get all that, it does put chips on your shoulder. This year, we've got to tune out all the people telling us we're good because human nature tells you when you're good, you relax. 
And if we relax, we'll have zero chance of, of having success in the fall to the level that we want to. And so um, I would say probably trust the mindset of me as you've talked to me over a year in terms of keeping things grounded and humble and making sure that we're working at the level that we need to work, that we're going to put in what we need to do to get ourselves where we've got to be. Well, obviously, you kind of referenced this a second ago when you were talking about the schedule. This is uh, possibly one of the toughest schedules Duke's ever had with nine of the 12 programs that were playing this season, playing in a bowl game last season. Um, as a Duke fan, obviously, the expectation, and I'm sure your expectation is the same thing, is to go 12-0 and every year, obviously to win every game. But as a fan, talking to the fans, what should their expectations be? I mean, obviously we want to win every game. Yeah, I think it's the same we talked about last year. Like, everybody wanted me to come in last year with these, you know, pulled back expectations. It was year one. You guys haven't been really good. You know, what are you going to define as success? And, and I told them last year, and it's the same thing this year. You know, we want to become the absolute best version of ourselves that we can become. We want to make the fans proud with how we play the game of football. We want to be tough. We want to be physical. We want to play with tremendous effort. We want to play the game the right way. And then in, in crunch time, we want to go out and make the winning plays when it's time to make them. And, and that's football, regardless of season to season. And I think having, you know, it sounds like a bland thought process or a bland mindset, but, like, it's what allows you to stay level and consistent. And that's what we're shooting for. We're not shooting to be a program that spikes and drops and spikes and drops. Well, I, I would say, obviously, going into last season, just from the fan aspect, there was a buzz, obviously new coach, new everything. Going into this year, I think there's the same, there's even more of a buzz. Yeah. I think the fan base is more into it now. Yeah. They're more excited, they've seen what we can do. They've known that we were in every game, there's a chance. And I think that's an opportunity, obviously, and that's what, you know, we want the fans to be here every Saturday. That's one of the things we preach, like you preach, we want Wallace Wade to be filled up on Saturdays. So that's one of the things, that expectation was from our standpoint, we want to fill this pace out Get the fans in here wearing the right colors, blue, cheering until the end of the game, and let it all play that way. Yeah, and I would hope that that is something that 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 has happened on the success, right? The the one thing, you know, we talked to our guys about how the success of last year will have no impact on their success next year. But as the CEO, go back to putting the CEO hat on for a second. I would hope that the buzz and the excitement that we created, what these kids have earned by showing how much they'll lay it on the line for Duke football, brings the community out, brings the fan base back, brings alumni back from all around the country. Uh, I would hope season ticket sales go through the roof. I would hope attendance goes through the roof. I would hope that that's um, how the people that follow this program feel about rewarding these kids for what they put into last year. And I think one thing that has been different for this program now is the inclusion of digital media. Because one thing um, that has really stood out this past season was just the digital media with the guys interviewing the players after they come off practice, just asking them off-the-wall questions. It's, it's something that the fans can get to know these players a little bit better. Um, just the videos of you, that reaction video that you had from everyone congratulating you when you won the ACC Coach of the Year. It's just small things like that that help put this program back on the map because Fans get an inside look at the program that they might not have gotten before with, you know, in years past. Not a knock on the previous administration, but social media has become key and crucial to getting to know not only you, 
but the players as well off the field. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something that we look forward to every week when they release new media. Yeah, we're, we're trying to, to raise the, the expectations and the ceiling of this program from a fan standpoint. And to do that, it's a competitive market. It's a competitive market to get fans excited about your program. And so as much as we put time and emphasis into being a great football team, we also have to put time and emphasis into attracting fans, you know, capturing fans' attention, making sure that we're present to our fans 365 days a year, that we don't play the military bowl game and then disappear right. for seven months and then pop back up and start talking about, hey, let's come out to the Clemson game. And, you know, we haven't been, you know, yep. we, we've got to stay active and involved with our fan base year round. And, and that's something that we've been very intentional about. And that's why we do those things. Like, we want Duke football fans to be excited year-round, right? And, and that's something that's that's really important. And, and you can do it a lot easier now because everybody can follow Duke football on social media. They can do it on Twitter. They can do it on Instagram. You know, back in the day, you know, we couldn't get our, our brand out nationally because we're a right. national school. Now we can. It's really easy. We just got to take advantage of it. We, we always we were, we were talking to some of the digital guys throughout the year. And something as simple as just, like, getting the helmets off these guys. Like, you know, you – Riley Leonard, uh, Jalen Calhoun, a senior wide receiver, should not be able to go hang out in Durham, like in oblivion, right? Like there should be like a way of like, okay, that and maybe though people respect their privacy, but like, hey, that's a all ACC wide receiver right there, you know that kind of thing. And and beforehand it was like, you know, football is that is that that sport that the helmets on, and you know people by their number and their jersey, you don't know them by their face. And I feel like <clears throat> digital media has really done a good job of like putting their faces out there. And, like, I think that's a – it might seem like a small thing, but I think it's a really big deal, not just to fans, but to, like, high school players and stuff like that as they're looking, yeah. you know, to grow. Obviously, they want to grow their own personal brand as well as contribute to winning. No, and, and, and listen, the, the number one goal will always be collective success, right? That's any football program across the country. But you can have individual recognition amongst collective success. There's, that happens in every organization across the country, right? And, and some of our guys deserve the opportunity to represent this program. We've got great ambassadors for Duke football in that locker room, and they've earned the right to go out there and do those things, and it helps them in so many ways. It helps the fan base relate to them. It helps them from an NIL. We, you know, we're in an NIL market, right? We've got to be able to put these guys out there on social media so people can recognize who they are and what they're all about. And um, and our kids are, are great ambassadors of everything that Duke stands for, not just football. And so whenever we get the chance to make people aware of that, we want to take advantage of it. So you just let us to our next question. Um, we're approaching the one-year mark of NIL. Um, and how does, that, how does that affect, I guess, a couple of questions, and you can kind of unpack it as you want, right? Number one, how does it affect the conversations you have in the living rooms of high school players, number one? And number two, expectation versus reality in this first year of, like, we've seen things online of, like, players that have been promised X, they show up on campus and X never comes through. Like, what does that look like so far? And I think, what are we, like nine months maybe into NIL? It seems like we've been in that for nine years, but uh, <laughs> nine months of NIL. What does that look like, uh, the overall landscape, I guess? And yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure that was a yeah, loaded question. No, but. sure. It's, it's a broad-based question and people want to know. I, I think it's a very, um, you know, changing landscape is probably the right way to look at it. And it's, it's really unique because there's very little like it where – um, there's no accountability for anything that gets put out there. And, um, you know, we know social media has a lot of fact and a lot of fiction. That's just the nature of social media. And, 
you know, it's one of those things where everybody wants to claim inside scoop on what's happening with this NIL deal and this guy's NIL package. Um, and so you get a lot of false narratives out there and there's no really way for the average fan to unpack what's real and, and what's not real. Um, the way we handle it is, is like we do with everything around here. You know, you should come to Duke for what Duke is and what Duke stands for and what Duke's all about. And obviously, we also are in an era where this is important. And so we've got to make sure that we provide opportunities to our guys. We've got to make sure that they're aware of what opportunities can be found by coming to Duke, um, the things that they can do through NIL. We can't turn a blind eye to it. Um, but we certainly, and, and this would be honestly regardless of program, I think when the conversation starts there, um, to me that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. To me that's, that's somewhere down the line um, of where the conversation needs to be. Um, because I want kids who are serious about football, serious about creating success. And I tell our kids this all the time, and this has kind of been an ongoing joke for me since NIL started. Uh, no matter what, the biggest NIL deal you can get is the contract in the NFL. Yeah. And so as you're chasing around all of these $5,000 deals or $10,000 deals or whatever you're chasing, if at the end of the day that's pulling away from your yeah. $35 million yeah. rookie contract that you're capable of getting, like you're not doing a real good math analysis of what you're doing. And so we want to make sure that the focus is still kids who want to become great football players. Then let's go figure out how to make sure you get everything that's, that's there for you to get. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, tr transfer portal, last couple of years, obviously hit it well. This year, uniquely, uh, two people from Texas A&M are now in Durham, defensive coordinator Tyler Santucci, as well as uh, Miles Jones, the cornerback. What, obviously, you have a closer relationship with those guys than you would a normal transfer that's coming in. What can we expect on the coaching end, other than uh, he needs to improve his free throw shooting? Uh, <laughs> we do know that. Um, but other than improving free throw shooting from, from Coach Santucci, what can we expect? And then you know the player, you coach, you're, you're a DB guy, you're a safety guy. Like you're a, what, are we, can, what can we expect from Miles as well? Yeah, so, so let's start with the free throw. <laughs> so it's been made very clear to Coach Santucci that there's an expectation of success yeah. here. And when you're put in, a, put in a spotlight, you accomplish things if you're part of Duke football. And so um, that marker has been laid very yeah. clear. Um, so we'll get that better. Uh, if he ever gets a chance to get it, I'll bet he makes it. Um, no, I, Coach Tyler's been with me for years. Uh, you know, Adam at Wake Forest. Uh, had him at Notre Dame, had him at Texas A&M, brought him back to Texas A&M, and you know, obviously the ability to get him in here. There, there's such familiarity with what we want to do on defense. He's a phenomenal young coach. He's got great energy. Uh, he's got tremendous passion for the game, and I think these guys will really you know, follow him and, and stick to him. He's phenomenal uh, in terms of how he relates to kids and motivates people. And so really excited that we got him and his wife and his daughter coming into town with us. And then um, just in terms of the transfers, you know, obviously Miles, a kid that I coached, uh, started a lot of games for me at Texas A&M. And, you know, we think he gives us some, some coverage ability that, that we needed to add. You know, we didn't have – there's not a lot in our program behind – you know, we have Pickett and Chandler coming back. There's not a ton behind them. Dylan Merrill hopefully steps into a bigger role. Kenzie Ball hopefully sticks into a better role. But we need to go out and add numbers. Um, and that was a big one. And then I think Al Blades was a big yeah. one, you know, yeah. being able to go out and do the same thing. And I think we've been very specific in how we've targeted positionally what we needed um, so that we're bringing in guys into areas where we're numbers deficient and have an opportunity to contribute. Yeah. Now for the most important question. I'm ready. We asked Coach Feely about his favorite pizza joint. Since you were a fellow Jersey guy, can you comment on DeFaro's? Mesa Luna. 
Okay. Oh, okay. Not, okay. Not even close. So there's a DeFarzen carry too. There's a DeFarzen carry as well. It's, it's like walking distance. He's from made the his offense. point already. So Mason Luna. Luna. Okay. Uh, Mason Luna. They're from the city. They came down. Phenomenal pizza. I, we probably get it bi-weekly. Oh wow. Yeah. 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 He was very big on DeFaro's, and then we found one in Cary. Mm-hmm. So. so I'll try DeFaro's. I've not tried DeFaro's, and I'm not certainly not trying to pull back on DeFaro's. Right, right. But if I was to put a shout-out for any pizzeria place right. that I've encountered, uh, and then obviously i got to say something about Enzo's because they come over. They, <laughs> they help us. Sponsored. They do a lot of work for us. Sponsored by Jersey Mike's as yeah. well. Yeah. Good. <laughs> so that, uh, no, um, we're, we're almost done here. Uh, one of the questions we had earlier that we skipped, and I, I would actually really, um, if you have maybe one on either side of the ball here, from the time you showed up in Durham last January until the military bowl, final whistle, um, what player or two do you think, and I want to use this right wording, maximized their year, yeah. right? Because, like, every player has different – the ceiling is different for different guys. Yeah. So, like, if there were a couple of guys you're like, man, that, that guy maximized his 12 months – yeah, I mean, honestly, so many of them, right? The reason why we had the year we had is because so many kids in that locker room maximized who they mm-hmm. were capable of being. And so I think it's that part of it's got to be said. I think if you were to say, you know, offensively, I think obviously you've got to look at Riley. Um, you know, I don't know that you could have expected a first-year starter um, to, to take care of the football and be as productive as he was. Um, you know, and so that part of it was, was tremendous. Um, and then I think if you were to pick one on defense, you know, the one that always stands out to me is Brandon Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think obviously we had a lot of big time players and make, you know, that have been known names for a long time. But I just think Brandon found a way as the year went on to, to really impact football games. And um, it was know. almost like you couldn't. You, you never saw him off the field. Yeah. Right? Until at the very end, I think he got banged up. Yeah, he got banged up at the end of the military ball. Yeah. yeah. But other than that, it was like he was no. literally every snap guy. Yeah, and he just was – I mean, he just found a way to really impact games. And, and there's so many other guys. I hate to only single those two out. But if you made me pick yeah, two, those would kind of be the two. No, that's, that's great. Do you have anything to say as we move into spring ball, a pro day and spring ball coming up? Obviously, the game – uh, coming up is the twenty second, twenty yeah. second of April. But then also, like season ticket wise, anything maybe to Duke fans that are listening, encouragement to uh, to be there and to uh, spend some money and get some tickets, right? Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing is, is if you want this program to grow, like we all want it to grow, um, there's got to be a leap of faith, and hopefully this past fall showed what Duke football is capable of. And you know, to continue to grow this thing, we need support. You know, we need support in so many levels. One of the easiest ways for fans of this podcast and fans of this program to support us is to get in the stadium. And so um, we've got to scoop up the season tickets. We know we're going to have real competitive games in terms of filling the stadiums with the right colors. Um, you know, we're going to play some traveling fan bases. We're going to play some teams that are going to try to scoop up tickets and get their presence made here in, in Wallace Wade. And um, we got to make sure that we do it the right way with Duke fans all over this place and get the right blue, like you said, yeah. in the stadium. And so uh, it starts on April 22nd, 1 o'clock. Come on out, support the blue and white game and, and see the new version of this team. And, uh, and then get your season tickets and get yourselves ready to go for what should be a great fall. For sure. Well, Coach, we certainly appreciate you taking some time to speak with us out of your busy schedule, and we're looking forward to seeing you again uh, at the spring game. Yeah, appreciate you guys coming in. And our thanks again to head coach Mike Elko, who took time out of his busy schedule to sit down with us and talk all things Duke football. Well, 
That'll wrap it up for this episode of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast. We're looking forward to releasing more content in the coming weeks and months as we gear up for spring practice and the spring game on April 27th. But for Josh Cox, Scott Medlin, Jamie Holt, and producer Justin Sykes, I'm Brian Kennedy, and this has been another episode of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast. Thank you.